on today's episode of Mentally Stronger. Do we have to be passion struck about one thing or is passion struck just more about being passionate about life in general? It's more about living a life that matters. It's living a life that brings you significance. And that's what really the whole concept is about. And I think an important thing for people to understand is it's not as if one day you become passion struck and you're it for the rest of your life. It's something that you have to continuously strive for because it's really all about self-realization. Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential, no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of six books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record it all from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Do you ever feel like life is just sort of passing you by? Do you sometimes question the point of everything? Like, you feel like you're just working and paying bills without a lot of meaning? Do you wish you felt more passionate about something or about life in general? If you answered yes to any of those questions, you've come to the right place. You've probably heard a lot of people say that your life needs a purpose and you need more meaning. And while it's true that we all need a reason to get out of bed every day beyond just making money, we can also have passion. And the good news is you don't have to be passionate just about one thing. You can live a passionate life even if your life's mission isn't about doing something heroic or changing the world. You could be passionate about whatever it is that's right in front of you today. Here to explain about how to get more passionate in life is John Miles. John is the author of a new book called Passion Struck, and he's also the host of a popular podcast by the same name. Some of the things he talks about today are how to create a passion struck life, how to develop more self-awareness, and how becoming more proactive and intentional can help you live a more fulfilling life. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take, and I'll give you my take on John's mental strength building strategies. So here's John Miles on how to live a more passionate life. John Miles, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Amy, it's such an honor to be here and I loved having you on my podcast and I'm a huge fan of yours as well. So can't wait to do this. Well, thank you. I you know when we originally talked, we had a, a great conversation about the fact that both of us are into sailing. And then I saw on your website recently a, a really cool article about about sailing and the life lessons it can teach, which was quite cool to read. Yeah, for me, it's been life-altering. I remember I started to learn how to sail when I was three or four years old. And my dad used to race the Mackinac Island, was a huge sailor, never liked powerboats. And we used to go to upstate Michigan during the summers to Walloon Lake, uh, which is where the University of Michigan camp is at. And that's where I learned to sail first butterflies, sailfish, and then eventually got into lasers and bigger boats. Uh, But To me, there's just something about being on the water and the natural feel of the wind powering you as you're out there. It's very cool, isn't it? So you wrote this book called Passion Struck. You have a long podcast that's super popular about 
being passion struck as well. So maybe the place we should start is to talk about what does it mean to be passion struck? Yeah, so Amy, I, this is really a word that I have to be honest with you about three and a half years ago, wasn't even on my radar. And I had come through this in-depth self-discovery journey. Um, I had come home one day and I walk into the house and I, I love to work out like you do. And at the time I was going regularly to Orange Theory and they just happened to have had a fire in their air conditioning system that day. And so the fire engine came and we all had to evacuate. And so I went home probably about 45 minutes earlier than anticipated. And it turns out that someone had been canvassing me and had been watching my patterns. And when I left, take my daughter to school and then go to the gym, they had entered my house. And so I come back early, way earlier than they anticipated me coming back. And all of a sudden, I walk into my house and I'm confronted with a person holding a gun at me. And you know, if that wasn't enough, uh, my best friend ended up committing suicide three or four days later. And through this, it really dawned on me that the way I was living my life was really as if I had been a pinball and I was just bouncing off of things. A lot of people call it living on autopilot. And I came out of that doing years of just self-work. And how do you build back your life? And as I was going through that and taking a number of steps, I had also been researching a number of what you would say are the most successful or most inspirational people. And as I was doing that, I found that uh, these people who achieved the greatest success had taken many of the same steps that I had done. And they were mindset shifts and behavioral shifts. And coming out of that, I happened to be talking to a friend of mine, Keith Crotch, and I was explaining to him like how people like him, General McChrystal, uh, Oprah Winfrey, you name it, like how are they so passionate about what their purpose is that they're willing to solve that problem no matter if it costs them their reputation, financial risk, whatever it may be, they are just so maniacally focused on achieving it. And he said to me, you know, it sounds like someone who's passion struck. And so this light bulb went off. I immediately got off the phone with him, went to GoDaddy, thought there's no way in a world this thing exists. And then uh, there it was. And that was the journey to starting this whole brand. Do we have to be passion struck about one thing or is passion struck just more about being passionate about life in general? It's more about living a life that matters. It's living a life that brings you significance. And that's what really the whole concept is about. And I think an important thing for people to understand is it's not as if one day you become passion struck and you're it for the rest of your life. I, it's something that you have to continuously strive for because it's really all about self-realization. So I hear a lot of people say like, oh, you have to find your passion. But then I hear other people say like, you wake up in the morning and you know what you're passionate about. You don't have to go looking for something to be passionate about. You naturally have things you're passionate about. What's your take on this? I think there's truth to that. And I think there's some 
major falseness to that. I mean, I think there are things that we find we are passionate about. A lot of times there are things we end up doing as a hobby or as a side project or or something else. And it it's a side fulfillment, but it doesn't bring us overwhelming fulfillment. And so the way I like to look at it is think of going into your kitchen and using the metaphor of a stool. And the way I was living my life for so many years was imagine a stool that has one major support. And I was passionate about what I was doing and I persevered it uh, to no ends. But what I was pursuing was what society tells us to pursue, which is success. And I was this high, high achiever going after all these things that I thought was going to bring me inner meaning and, and fulfillment and happiness. And it ended up, after I'd achieved it all, doing just the opposite. And so to me, another way you can think about that stool is to craft it with multiple supports underneath it. And these could be multiple passions that you have that make up your life. Or in the case of how I organized it, I did it into major things that I knew would fuel my life so I could lead it the way I wanted to. And so for me, what was important was physical health, balancing that with mental health, spiritual health, emotional health, relationships, and then my career. And it was that balance that for me allowed me to really bring forth the passion that I felt. So are you passionate about, say, working out or is that just, does working out allow you to be better at the things that you're really passionate about? I think it's a, a mixture. I've been working out since I've been in high school. I, I was a really strong runner in high school, ran division one cross country and track. And so I've spent my time in and out of gyms for well over 30 years. But like anything, I think you can be passionate about something, but after a while of doing it, sometimes it gets old. And so for me, when it comes to working out, I am constantly having to refresh uh, different aspects of my physical routine. Uh, because I find, just like I was talking about Orange Theory, after a while, I get burned out on it. Same thing with CrossFit and other things. So for me, it's constantly mixing it up. But I have learned that to manage my stress and to go into each day with the best mental health possible, that I have to do physical exercise. And for me, I enjoy it because of the way it makes me feel as a result of it. Yeah, there's a lot of people who will say, you know, I eat healthy and I do all of these things, but they don't really feel passionate about it. They just feel like I have to be self-disciplined in order to really get the most out of the other areas of my life. But then again, I know there are some people that are truly passionate about certain things that others of us would find kind of dreadful. So it's always interesting to know, like, what do you find that you're passionate about? For people who are listening and they say, I don't know, I don't know what I am even passionate about in life, what would you recommend? So I do a lot of my teaching anchored in behavior science. And one of the things I've looked at uh, overwhelmingly is self-determination theory, which was created by uh, psychologist Edward D.C. and Richard Ryan. I'm sure you're probably familiar with it, but it 
basically says that we as humans have three basic psychological needs. We have a need for autonomy, which means that we have a choice and a willingness to one's behavior. We have competence, which refers to the experience of mastery and being effective in an activity. And finally, we have relatedness, refers to the need to feel connected. And those underlie our growth and development. So to me, as you relate that to passion and finding something that uh, brings you that passion, it's really experimentation. And to me, it's really doing inner work that brings out that self-awareness for what you're truly passionate about. And I lose a lot of faith in people who say that they find this overnight because for me, it's been really a lifelong journey. I mean, there's times where my passion has changed throughout my life. And so it's really comes to me from understanding yourself, what brings you joy, what brings you meaning, and most importantly, the things that you're doing, how it's impacting others. Because I find that one of the best ways I've ever experienced awe is by the way I impact others or see other people serve others. And it's interesting uh, because Dacker Keltner found that exact thing in his research. So to me, it's really about self-exploration, but really self-awareness and then learning how to apply that through self-determination. So I know some of our listeners are going to say, okay, I get up and I go to work. I have a family to take care of. I don't really have that much time or energy left over to worry about what I'm passionate about. What would you say to them? So I would say I was in the exact same position you were. I mean, let me paint a very clear picture for you. I was a C-level at Dell. I was traveling two weeks out of every single month overseas. That year, I think I traveled 350,000 miles. And when I was back in the office, I had so much catch-up work to do that I was probably working 80 hours a week. And on top of that, trying to balance everything else in my life. And what I discovered through that was I didn't have balance and it was causing me to burn out. And so it resulted in me having to make some really intentional choices. And one of the most important was that I was not giving myself the gift of me time. And so I analyzed my day and started to think through where could I build the time into it? And what was I willing to sacrifice and what wasn't I? And I didn't want to sacrifice any of the limited time that I had with my family because it was already being taken up by work and other things. And so for me, I found that the most important aspect of this was to do it first thing in the morning. And so I altered my lifestyle so that I started waking up Uh, hours earlier to give myself that extra time. And it's something that I've now done for years and years. And there's just something for me about waking up in the very early hours, because when you go outside for a walk at five o'clock in the morning, there's just something magical about the stillness. There's not very many cars on the road. You don't run into many people. And I really spend my time during those crucial moments really practicing gratitude, 
which is how I start out my day. I set intentions for the day I want to live. And it's where I end up doing my physical activity, my journaling, uh, my mindfulness practice. So for me, that's how I approached it. But if you're not a morning person, then you have to figure out where in your schedule can you make this fit. An electrolyte imbalance can cause headaches, fatigue, cramps, brain fog, and weakness. I know because I learned the hard way. Like a lot of people, I avoid eating too much processed food and I drink plenty of water, which is healthy, but it also depletes your brain and your body of the sodium that they need to function at their best. So I started drinking Element, a zero sugar electrolyte drink mix that's free of artificial colors and other dodgy ingredients. Having my electrolytes back in balance has cured my brain fog and I have a lot more energy. I love all the flavors like watermelon salt, but now I'm also a fan of the new Element Chocolate Medley, which is meant to be enjoyed hot. My favorite flavor is chocolate mint. I love to drink it in the cool evenings on my sailboat. If you want to see how much better Element can make you feel, try it risk-free. Order it for yourself, and if you don't like it, give it away, and they'll give you your money back. No questions asked. And right now, members of the Mentally Stronger community can receive a free Element sample pack with any order. Just go to drink element.com slash stronger to claim your sample pack. That's drinklmnt.com slash stronger. This is the first time in my life when I haven't had a pet. Up until two years ago, I had Jackson, a 19-year-old Himalayan cat, and Fiona, a 17-year-old English Springer Spaniel. Both of them lived on the sailboat and adjusted pretty well to life on the water. I miss them, and I look forward to getting another pet when the time is right. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. Your pet is part of the family, and you want the best for them no matter what. But vet bills can really add up. That's why you should check out pet insurance. And with ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com stronger. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com stronger. Again, that's ASPCA petinsurance.com slash stronger. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency, LIM. Do you want to get high quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? Try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. 
Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger and use code STRONGER to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Yeah, I am not a morning person, so I find those things are joyful in the evening. Like when you say you go for a walk at 5 in the morning. I find when I go for a walk at 11, 12 p.m., I also find stillness. Just not not doing it at 4 a.m. would not bring me joy. But for people to know that, yeah, you can make this work for you. And depending on what time of day, how you carve out the time. But what are the benefits? Or for somebody who says, you know, I think I'm doing all right. What would you say the benefits of of taking time to do this are? So for me, it's been life-changing. I mean, one is mental clarity throughout the day. It's knowing when you wake up and you're starting to approach your day that you're, you're intentional about how you're living it. And it's something that I talk about throughout the book is the power of micro choices. And I think we don't think enough about how these small, seemingly nebulous choices that we make when you add them up over time, create tsunamis of greatness, or if you're not doing them, they lead to waterfalls of despair. And so that is one of the most important things. The other thing is it really starts forming habits. And I just happened to be interviewing BJ Fogg yesterday, author of Tiny Habits, and we were talking a lot about this. And when you have consistent habits in your life, it is so much easier than to build additional habits or to get rid of destructive habits. And so it just sets me up to take charge of the day, allow me to concentrate on myself so that I can give myself to everyone else as the day progresses. And one of the chapters I really liked in your book is you talk about shifting perspectives. Why is this so important to us to find a different perspective sometimes? I love this chapter because on the surface, it seems so easy to do, but in life, it is so difficult to approach. Uh, I just think about having to go to family gatherings for the holidays or, or Thanksgiving as an example. And you could approach that with one perspective that, oh my God, I have to see these relatives. I have to endure this, or you can choose to have another mindset where you cognitively reframe it as a short duration activity where it's actually a joy in your life and not. But one of the core things I talk about in this chapter is really this whole idea of utilizing cognitive reframing and becoming a perspective harnesser, which I call it, means altering your perspective by challenging situations that you're in. Instead of viewing that toxic family gathering as a limited stressful obligation, like I was bringing up, one thing I learned from my time in the military is that when you are dealing with extremely tough times, trying times end. And I would apply it the same thing to that family situation. And this is a lesson that I really learned uh, through a, a very good friend of mine, Chris Cassidy, who happens to have been a, a Navy SEAL and a, a retired uh, chief astronaut. But uh, Chris and I were talking about this, and it was something that he learned as he was going through BUDS, is as you're going through these micro moments where you just want to give up, you just want to you know, fall on your sword, if you start looking at it like a rubber band and 
that you can create elasticity and that elasticity is only going to last for a short time. You can reframe the situation to understand that these trials and tribulations that you're going through are time-based and that mentally you can get through them and end up using them as a learning activity instead of something that's going to halt your growth as you progress. And that's really what the whole perspective harnesser chapter is about. And I loved it because I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist. So this is what I do is help people think about their lives from a different perspective. So if somebody comes into my office and says, my boss is a jerk, they're making my life impossible. I'll often ask the question, if your boss were sitting in my therapy office, what would they say about you? And sometimes people will say, well, they might say I show up late or I uh, am kind of slow to do my work or I agree to things and then I don't do them. And we'll have a conversation about that. And sometimes that's enlightening for people to know that from your perspective, it seems like everybody around you is frustrating to work with. But let's look at it from somebody else's perspective about what their experience might be like with you. Sometimes that really helps people to see things a little bit differently. And then they say, all right, well, here's what I could do differently. Because really the only thing we can control is our own behavior and our attitude. You can't fix somebody else. But when we make that shift in our own perspective, sometimes that makes a really big change in how we behave too, right? It absolutely does. And I will just share with the audience that uh, I, earlier in my life, had been through some serious big T trauma, um, uh, sexually abuse, physical abuse, combat trauma. And as I went through cognitive processing therapy, it really became apparent how much these stuck points were impacting the joy I was feeling and how I was living my life. And because a number of these things happened to involve authority figures in my life, I had a stuck point of not trusting authority figures. And for me, it was really helpful going through the process of cognitively reframing how I thought about that because were there some issues with authority figures in my life? Yes. But were 98% of the situations I was involved in perfectly fine? Yes. And so what I learned to do was to lean in that and to trust that uh, those circumstances that happened were very isolated and that I needed to put trust um, into these systems and into these people and that it was a healthy thing for me to do. But to be, for me, it, it was something that I really struggled with until I did that inner work to finally let it go. And that's understandable. I think we all do that when something happens to us that we generalize it. So if uh, somebody, you had an experience with a specific person, it's easy to generalize that and think all people are like this. Or we generalize things to think about ourselves. Like, oh, I can never succeed because you failed once. And your brain will only bring up all the times that you failed and it will screen out the times when you did well. Or we blame ourselves for, for too much, or we put too much responsibility on other people sometimes too, where we think other people are bad or they hold me back. And I've done this in my own life, but something I often do with my therapy clients is figuring out like the story that we tell ourselves. So when people have been through really hard times, they, the story could be, I'm a victim and bad things always happen to me. Or the story could be, I'm a hero who survived some really rough things in life, but I'm still here. 
And that shift in perspective can often make a big difference into how people feel, how they think about themselves, but in their behavior, because sometimes our perspective turns into a self-fulfilling prophecy as well. Yeah, and that's one of the things I explored in the chapter is uh, so often we get into this either-or thinking that really makes it black and white instead of really doing practicing both and thinking, uh, which is a really strong behavioral science concept, but something that more of us need to use both professionally and personally in our lives in the way that we're approaching situations. So I completely agree with you. Do you want to explain that a little bit more about the both and thinking? Yeah, I, we put ultimatums too much on our lives. We look at situations as either it can go this direction, meaning let's take a, a scenario. So I am having a, a, an argument with a friend of mine. You could treat it that either I'm going to do something that's going to inflame him or he's going to do something that inflames me instead of approaching it as a win-win situation where we could both hear each other's viewpoints and choose to agree to some points of it and disagree to other points of it, but walk away from that whole situation, both enriched and grown closer together rather than far apart. And I think what happens in so many professional settings I've been in is we end up following into this either-or thinking where we're putting ultimatums on the extremes instead of trying to search for compromise. I like that. And the stories that we tell ourselves after the fact too, I'll give you an example. I had a woman in my therapy office who had spent her entire adult life trying to make it work. She was married to somebody who had a substance abuse problem. She did everything she could for decades trying to figure out how to still be a good partner to this person. She tried to change him. She did everything thinking that I married this person in sickness and in health. Eventually she came to the conclusion she couldn't do it. She filed for divorce. And then it wasn't too long after they got divorced that this person, her partner had gotten help. And initially when she came to therapy, she said, if I had only hung on a little bit longer, then uh, I would have been able to enjoy my partner who was in recovery. And I should have done that. And she really had beat herself up about it. But the other perspective was, your partner probably wouldn't have gotten help if you had stayed together. But she had drawn this story and painted this picture to herself that it was her fault for not hanging in there longer when the truth was perhaps the change in her behavior motivated the change in the other person's behavior. And once she changed that perspective and she thought, okay, I don't need to spend the rest of my life blaming myself for not being enough or for thinking I messed up, maybe that's just the way the other person was. And then she felt a lot better. Yeah, absolute truth to that. And so for people who say, all right, like what, how do you know what you need to change your perspective about? We walk around all day looking through a certain lens and thinking this is how the world is. How do you even know when to shift your perspective or at what times you should perhaps look at an alternative viewpoint? I think like anything, this is like a muscle that can be built up over time. And to me, it's learning how to practice viewing things in a different way by doing it repeatedly. And, you know, some of us get the opportunity, like Chris Cassidy, I, I mentioned, did when he went up on the International Space Station. And I remember a funny story that he told me as he's sitting up there uh, looking down 
on earth and they just happened to be passing over New York City. And he imagined himself years before probably sitting in the back of a cab being all upset because he wasn't making time. He's stuck in traffic. And he's sitting up here looking at the beauty of the world and how minuscule that activity is in the big scheme of things. And I think sometimes that's how we need to think about things. Uh, you know, we have a one of the most majestic bridges here crossing from Pinellas County into Manatee County uh, outside of uh, St. Petersburg, Florida called the Sunshine Skyway Bridge. And when you look at that bridge from the water and you look at it from an airplane, it looks completely different in how you perceive it. And I think it's important as you think about things that you're going through to use analogies like the ones I've just alluded to, to help you process things in a different way. Because we get so tunnel focused and looking at situations through the same light, and we don't try to attempt to see them through another person's shoes or through a different perspective that we could be using. And so sometimes I like to you know, visualize myself in another person's shoes uh, using a completely different viewpoint than the personality that I bring in uh, as an introvert and the other qualities that I have. And I like that. Most of us will probably never get to go to outer space and look back at the at the earth to get a different perspective. But I do think there are lots of ways that we can zoom out, even if it's just from a psychological standpoint, to get the bigger picture of your life. When you imagine you're 100 years old looking back at your life, like how much is this thing I'm worried about actually going to be significant? Might not be significant at all. Right now, it feels like that's your whole world, but it might not necessarily be that important when you take a step back and you look at the bigger picture of life. Yeah, it's something I'm trying to coach my daughter through who's a sophomore at University of Florida. And she's a chemical engineering major and she is so overwhelmed by all the courses that she's taken. And I try to just help her see that in, there's a bigger whole scheme of this and don't get so caught up with every single test that you have to take all, all of this, get more caught up with the overall learning process that you're doing and the college experience and what this is building inside of you, which is then going to uh, power you forward in the years to come. But it's so easy to get in that situation where we become you know, almost in despair over how many things are hitting us in our daily life that we don't take that time, as you said, to zoom out and look at it uh, differently. And I think it goes back to your earlier point of how sometimes we go through life on autopilot and we forget to do the things, to put the time into the things that are really most important to us. We get up, you go to work, you uh, do what you have to do, you go to bed and you get up and you do it all over again tomorrow without zooming out and saying, is this really how I want to live my life? Is this where I want to put my my time, my energy, my money and my effort so that I can have a, a good life in the overall big picture? It's absolutely true. I have a whole chapter in the book uh, that I call The Conscious Engager. And in there, I go through a whole analysis of the game of pinball. And to me, so many of us are acting in our lives as if we are the pinball in the game. And we just allow ourselves to get bounced around by the distractions, the social influence, societal expectations, what our friends are saying. Uh, all the things that that hit us, 
that we're not being intentional about how we're proceeding through any of it. Whereas if you can choose that metaphor, instead of being in the pinball, mastering the game of pinball, learning its intricacies, uh, as someone who loves pinball myself has learned to do, you completely play the game of life differently. And I think it's such an important lesson for people to understand. And I mean, even if you look at some of the most famous historical figures, let's look at Abraham Lincoln. For years, he himself lived his life like a pinball. He just self-described himself for like 32, 33 years of his life as a piece of driftwood, just going from one thing aimlessly to another. And it wasn't until he found that most critical thing of slavery that really caused this huge passion-struck moment to appear in his life that he changed his whole outlook. And that, that change led him to becoming arguably the best president of all time. But that wasn't how he lived the majority of his life, which my message there is it doesn't matter what age you're at, you can change how you're living your life and how you're engaging in it no matter how old you are. So how about you now? What do you do that's more intentional about your life? What are some concrete things that you find yourself doing on a regular basis? So it's funny, I, ju- I just put out a solo episode about this uh, today. And it's interesting because a core component of the book is, um, I'm a huge fan of Angela Duckworth. And let me explain it through these lens. Um, She starts her book, for those who have read it, about her study of cadets at West Point. And specifically at that time, she was looking at people who had passed through their plebe summer activities and why did some fail and some didn't. And they've extended that and came out with 2019 research where they examined 11,000 cadets and found out that actually cognitive skills like your sense of reasoning didn't matter as much as physical abilities and grit did for someone to graduate. However, I went to the Naval Academy, so I have firsthand knowledge of what this topic is about. And I would say, looking back, although physical ability and grit were absolutely essential in allowing me to get through plebe summer and the grueling four years, that's not what created the most successful outcome. The missing ingredient, I think, uh, from her approach is situation modification, which is a psychological term for describing intentionality, which is really, you have to modify your behavior if it's going in a direction that you don't want it to go in. So if you want to graduate from a service academy, you have to intentionally align your daily actions with your core values and with the aspiration that you have that you want to graduate. And so that means that you really need to approach your activities differently. So for me, how I use this on a daily basis is I'm very intentional about my passions. So I set my days up doing tasks that I love. So for me, that might be writing. It might be researching to do an interview like we're doing here. It could be actually doing a podcast, but it's generally something that's creative that I try to put at least as a component of my day. So I'm doing something 
that intentionally brings me joy. Um, in the same way, I'm intentional, like I talked about earlier, about how I'm examining my day and thinking about how I want to lead it from the moment I get up to the second I put my feet on the ground, being grateful for the opportunity to have a day on this magnificent planet that we live on and to live it and to live it as meaningfully as I possibly can, not to waste any time. And so the, what I would suggest to the listener is we go out throughout our days just doing the same thing out of routine. We go on the same commute every day. We probably go to the same supermarket. We go to the same gas station. But what if you really started to look at things differently and being more intentional about the small moments that you have, even how you're talking to your partner, a child or a friend or family member and approaching those situations deliberately and how you want that outcome to be, how you want that person to feel. And so those are the things that I try to do throughout my days where I am trying to infuse intentionality all throughout it, but aligning it with my core values and my aspirations for what I want to achieve throughout my life, whether it's health, my relationships, or my career. So then my last question for you is about, about that. How do you manage to be intentional while also not being so intentional that you miss an opportunity that might be dropped right in front of you? The reason I ask is sometimes I'll see people who are like, my objective is, is uh, to, to do this one thing. And then they go throughout their day with such laser focus on getting that one thing done that they, somebody could call them and say, hey, can you do this? And it might be an amazing opportunity, but they don't recognize it because they're like, I haven't done this one thing yet. So how do you, first of all, do you think it's important to balance that? And second part of the question is, how do you do that? I think it is important to balance it. I mean, if you overemphasize any one thing, you're not going to have the balance, as I talked about with my stool example. So to me, you've got to be mindful about those things and how you're approaching them. And I, I found when I was too, for me personally, when I was too hyper-focused on achieving all the time, I just found myself never happy. I mean, as soon as I would achieve one thing, five minutes later, I was already on to the next. And so I remember having this conversation with Rachel Hollis, who herself self-admits to having the same issue. And we were talking about what each of us do to get through it. And you have to be intentional about giving yourself the time to break, to celebrate, to enjoy things. And so to me, it's, it's like what Juliet Funt says or Dory Clark about giving yourself these times to have air, times to have time to think, to think about things. It's important to do that. Um, and I'll just give another example. Let's say you have a listener today who's involved in sales. Maybe they're a sales leader or an individual contributor who's involved in sales. All of us in one way or another are doing sales one way or, or another. The way I would encourage them to think about this is to be intentional in their planning and approach. I mean, thinking strategically about your sales pipeline, understanding where to focus your effort, efforts for the best return on investment. In the same way, you've, that's how you got to think about other aspects of your life. 
Like if you're looking at your physical health, how do you strategically think about that? So the effort that you're putting in gives you the best return on investment for the time and money that you're putting into it, et cetera. And that makes sense. And I was asking also for my own personal experience, if I'm not careful, I could be that person who sits down to write a book and think, okay, I'm going to really work hard on writing this book. And Oprah could call and I'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm working on a book right now. <laughs> I, can't, I don't have time for that. And it really takes, I have to be intentional about that to make sure that I don't get so hyper-focused on my goal that I can enjoy the journey and look around and recognize an opportunity that maybe pulls me away from what I thought I was going to do, but it's a better opportunity and makes more sense to take that when it arrives, even if it's spontaneous. No, I, absolutely the truth. And I, I do have a funny story to say, to tell you is I... Last year, really wanted to get Susan Kane on the podcast, and I had reached out to her. And uh, to your point, I was so caught up at that point in editing my book and just being down in thought that her assistant sent me a email that said, "Hey, Susan, uh, would really love to be on your podcast. How how can we set it up?" And I actually responded that we're full right now. And I can't have you on. And then like <laughs> 20 minutes later, it kind of like my mental mind went off. I'm like, you idiot. What the hell did you just do? And so I called up. I'm like, I totally made a mistake. And she, you know, she ended up coming on the show and the rest is history. But to your point, it's so easy to get so tunnel focused that we allow important things that we should be paying attention to, to not uh, come into our mind as it should. Right. Well, John Miles, thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger. Your book gives us a really good roadmap for all the steps that we can take to become more passion struck. And of course, you've got your podcast with wisdom from some of the best minds from uh, all over the globe. And I super appreciate that I had the opportunity to be on your show as well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I hope uh, the listeners will buy a copy of this and if they do, Amy, I have some incredible uh, giveaways, even during the launch week, um, including eBooks on my deliberate action process on how to create um, inspiration. If you've got self-doubt, even if you're someone who's uh, a high achiever, as well as guides to building intrinsic motivation. So some great things that they could uh, immediately use in their own lives. We'll leave a link to everything in the show notes so that people can go take a look at everything you have to offer. Great. Well, thank you so, so much. It's been such an honor to be here. Thank you, John. Welcome to The Therapist Take. It's the part of the show where I'm going to break down John's mental strength building strategies and talk about how you can apply them to your life today. So here are three of my favorite strategies that John shared. Number one, Explore new things. It sounds simple, but how often do we do that? It's along the same topic that we talked about a few weeks ago when James Altucher was on the show, and he talked about creating a quest in your life. Sometimes you just don't know if you like exercising in the morning until you try it, or you won't know that you love skiing until you try skiing. Sometimes just spending time with new people brings out a different side of us that we didn't even know existed. And it's hard to live a passionate life when you feel stuck in a rut. So try new things. I think sometimes we get so caught up trying to be consistent or trying to maintain the same habits 
that we forget to try new foods, talk to new people, or mix up our schedules a bit. Number two, look at things you don't want to do with a different perspective. So you aren't going to love everything that you do. You can accept that. You can also work on making sure your brain doesn't exaggerate the negative or underestimate your ability to cope with something that you don't want to do. Sometimes just changing your language makes a huge difference. Like when you think, oh, I don't want to sit through this meeting, remind yourself that you have the opportunity to make the best of the meeting. Or think about one good thing in the meeting or how you could make it a little bit better. Maybe just smiling at somebody could make the whole meeting a lot better for everyone. Or just changing the I have to to I get to. So instead of saying, I have to go run an errand, remind yourself, actually, I get to go run an errand. That's a really small shift, but it might help you feel more passionate about whatever you're doing right now. And I like that John said, when there's something that you really don't want to do, sometimes you can just remind yourself it's only temporary and you'll get through it. And number three, be intentional about the action that you take. John talks about how sometimes we're like a pinball that just bounces around without any real direction. Again, it's easy to get caught up in life sometimes. Like you say yes to the things that come your way without ever taking charge. Or we keep doing the same things over and over without stepping back and becoming deliberate about the action that we take. Just zoom out sometimes and look at your life. Think about the things that you really want to do and what actions you want to take. A helpful strategy for this sometimes is to just act like the person you want to become. If you want to be a confident person, act as if you feel confident right now. That deliberate action now shifts how you feel and it could shift how you see yourself down the road. So those are three of John's strategies that I highly recommend. Explore new things, change the way that you think about something you don't want to do, and be intentional about the action that you take in life. To hear more from John, check out his podcast or his new book. Both of them are called Passion Struck. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to the Mentally Stronger podcast. If you know somebody who could benefit from learning more about mental strength, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, passionate about music, Nick Valentine. <laughs>